First Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15. And quick question: uh, Who doesn't like a shortcut? I mean, aren't aren't shut shortcuts? I mean, the best, aren't we always looking for shortcuts? I remember in math class, uh, always trying to figure out how I could do it like six steps faster than what the teacher it is. And every once in a while, I'd stumble into it and I, I would find it because we don't really like to do the hard work that's there. In fact, think about some shortcuts in your life. Uh, think about your job. If you could just eliminate the hardest part of your job, wouldn't that change uh, uh, circumstances? If you could go back and remember your school experience, if you could have just gotten rid of the most difficult year that you had at school, wouldn't that be a great thing? Think about your relationship issues that you have with some folks sometimes. If you could eliminate the single most difficult part of that relationship, wouldn't life be a whole lot easier? I mean, it would be great if we could just take and go through life and say, okay, that's the hardest part. I'm going to set that aside. Shortcuts uh, are great. Oh, one of the most famous shortcuts that have ever been taken happened in the Boston Marathon in 1980. A young lady named Rosie Ruiz, running in her second marathon ever, won the race, and won the race by a great margin, and, and had really, really won a world-class time, which was impressive for anyone, but particularly since this was only her second marathon ever, and no one had ever really heard of her, and no one had seen her on the list of really potential winners. These are folks that have really been training. These are the folks that we know that are really getting it done. And in fact, immediately after the race, there were some questions, partly because she didn't look like she had just run 26.2 miles. Partly because they asked her, said, okay, what are your training secrets? Are, are you been running intervals? Are you, what, what have you been doing? And, and she kind of looked at the interview and said, I, I don't know what you're, what you're talking about. Well, after a little bit of time, someone came out and says, hey, we saw her jump out of the crowd a half mile from the finish line. Now listen, if you can make that deal where you turn 26.2 miles, which is a little bit hard, and turn it into a half-mile sprint, boy, wouldn't life be easier. In fact, as they went back and they investigated <clears throat> old Rosie, uh, they, they found out that when she ran the New York City Marathon earlier that year, uh, people had seen her on the subway in the middle of the race. Shortcuts are great. If we could just take the most difficult parts like, you know, the first 26 miles, if we could just take the difficult parts, the hard parts of life, and just set them apart, life would be so much easier. But that's not really what's on the table. Now, the reason why I bring this up is that Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is dealing with the church in Corinth, and they are struggling with one part of our faith. In fact, some would look at it and say they are struggling with the most difficult part of our faith, and that is the resurrection. They are struggling with this question that Paul stands before them, that the apostles stand before them and say, listen, let me tell you the story of Jesus. He was alive, he was tried, he was, he was crucified, he was buried, and three days later he rose again. 
And there were many people who were in that church in Corinth that were struggling with that and saying, listen, I, I love everything that you're saying. I love to hear the stories of Jesus. I, I love the way that he's encouraged me and blessed me and, and done all of these things for me. And, I, and I'm with you 100%. But man, I, I struggle with this resurrection piece. And so there were some folks in Corinth that were saying, you know what? I'm going to take 100% of Jesus except for the resurrection piece. Now, you have to know that that remains a struggle for some people today. There are some people who are outside of the church today because they look at it and say, listen, I like the encouragement, I like the hope, I like the philosophy, I like all the words of Jesus, I even like the Old Testament stuff, but the idea that someone was dead and rose again is just too much. And in fact, the truth is that there are some people who are not inside of the church because the resurrection is too big of an issue for them. The truth is, I think that in almost every church in America and probably around the world, when the church gathers, there are some folks who are inside the church that struggle a little bit with resurrection. Like, you know, there's so much good in the Bible. There's so much great stuff there. Like, uh, yeah, I'm here for it, but man, if you were to, if you were to hook them up to a lie detector test, and we're not going to do that this morning, but if you were to hook them up to a lie detector test, and ask them if they believed in the resurrection. Say, so, you know what? I, I struggle with that. It, it just, the idea of dead and then alive. Dead and then alive. Man, I've never seen it before in person. I don't know. You know, I think there's even another category. And, and this one is, is a little bit harder. Because I think that there are some people that if you were asked them, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? They would say, Yeah. Do you believe in the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ? Yes. Verbally, they will agree that they believe in the resurrection. But functionally, they are agnostic and live as though maybe it's true, but also maybe it's not. See, this resurrection is a really key question. And in fact, what we're looking at here in Corinth is that we're looking at a church that was wondering, what if we just, what if we just skip resurrection? Well, what if we take everything else in, but we leave out the resurrection? So I want to spend a little bit of time looking at the passage this morning, and I want us to just, just for a moment stay through the whole sermon, okay? Will you do that for me? Stay, will you do that? Like, I'm not committing to anything, but all right. Uh, but will you stay through the whole sermon uh, with me? What if it isn't true? What if resurrection that we talk about every Easter Sunday, every resurrection Sunday, what if this statement that says Jesus was alive, he was buried, and he rose again, what if that part isn't true? Well, Paul begins to address those very questions throughout the entire chapter. And, and it's a really long chapter, but, but would, you, would you read that today? Would you read that maybe sometime after the power goes out at your house, whatever happens the rest of the day today? Would you just kind of get a flashlight out and, and read this chapter? Because you really want to read through the whole flow all the way through. But Paul begins to, to talk to them and say, listen, if the resurrection isn't true... 
He says, you have to know that there's no afterlife. You have to know there's no afterlife because this is the place that they were kind of wrestling. They were, they were kind of wondering about, but maybe, maybe when you die, you just die. And Paul takes that back to the resurrection because one of the things he says here is, listen, if Christ was not raised, if God did not raise his son Jesus, man, why do you think you're going to get raised? Why do you think that there's a resurrection for you? So one of the things we have to understand is that if there's no resurrection of Jesus, there's no resurrection for us, and there's no afterlife at all. And we just are snuffed out, and it ends, and it comes to a conclusion. If there is no resurrection, there is no afterlife. If it isn't true, then not only is there not an afterlife, but there's no supernatural. Because think about it, that's what's standing in the way of resurrection is that there's this idea that God has a certain amount of power but it's not enough power to bring someone who is dead back to life again. And the truth is, if he can't bring Jesus back to life again and he can't bring me back to life again, then he probably couldn't create the universe with just his words. Hey, and there's no sense that when I pray to him, I can seek divine intervention. And there's no sense that I can look to him ever to do a miracle. And so what we find ourselves, if there's no resurrection, then what you see is what you get in this world. And as much as our hearts hunger for the idea that there's a power that's greater than ours, greater than who we are, if there is no resurrection, there is no supernatural. And then I would also tell you that if it's not true, and I hate to say this to you, but if it's not true, then you've wasted your Sunday. If it's not true, then you've wasted your Sunday. Now you may say that, I don't, I, I, that's a little hard to say, Tim. I think that's a lot of, not really fair for you to say. I mean, I like being with the folks here. I like seeing what kind of masks everybody wears to church. I, I like to see the latest in, in, in church mask fashion wear. I, I like to come to church because I, I like to hear the band. I love to hear Brian sing. I've got friends that are here at church. It's a great place to be. It's a great place for my kids to be. I, I don't think that that's fair for you to say that if there is no resurrection then I've wasted my Sunday but I want you to hear this it's not me it's the Apostle Paul saying this look at verse 19 he says if in Christ we have hope in this life only we are of all people to be most pitied Paul says, listen, it all comes down to the resurrection. And in fact, as you read the chapter this afternoon, um, as you look at the chapter this afternoon, you're going to see that he builds this argument that, that if there is no resurrection for us, there is no resurrection for Christ. If there is no resurrection for Christ, we've been lying to you this whole time. If there is no resurrection of Christ, then you are dead in your sins. If, you are, if there is no resurrection, this whole thing is in vain, empty of no value whatsoever. That's why we say the resurrection is too big to skip. 
Now I have good news for you. It is true. It is true. The resurrection is true. In fact, that's the whole point of this chapter. In fact, let's walk in that direction for a few minutes this morning. What I want you to know is that because it is true, there are historical footprints. Because it is true, there are historical footprints. That's the passage that we read at the beginning of the service this morning. He says that he was buried and he was raised on a third day in accordance with Scripture. And he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then more to five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and then last of all to one untimely born. He appeared also to me. He says, listen. He was dead, he was buried, and he rose again. And I can give you the phone number and address of a bunch of those folks that saw him. And you can call them, you can send them an email, you can send them a letter. They are more than happy to talk to him. Go and talk to Peter. In fact, better than that, go and talk to Thomas. Because Thomas walked around saying, listen, I'm not going to believe it unless I see it with my own eyes. I'm not going to believe it unless I can put my hands in the wounds of Jesus. And Thomas was just yapping. And then Jesus shows up in the room and says, Thomas, come here. Put your hands right here. Put your hand right here. You don't think that Thomas wanted to spend the rest of his life saying, oh yeah, he's alive. I had doubts, I had questions, I had concerns, and then I saw the resurrected Jesus, and I put my hands on the realness of the living, resurrected Jesus. In fact, that was the number one task of every one of the disciples, is to be a person who knew him in life, who knew that he died, and had seen his resurrected body. And those disciples were spread out through the entire known world with this message that says he is alive. There are historical footprints that are the witnesses that met and saw Jesus. There are historical footprints of the transformation that occurred because of Jesus' resurrection. Think back to those disciples. Think back to the week when we look at, at Holy Week and we, we look in fact that the disciples talked and said, Jesus, I'll go with you anywhere. And then someone sneezes and they run away. The Greek word here is scaredy cat. They, 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 they just run. Every one of them. Except for John. But every one of them just runs. And suddenly, within weeks, they are standing in the most public places against the most powerful people, in front of the most powerful people, and saying, Jesus is alive. And so some of the same people that arranged Jesus' death say, You take that back. They say, We can't take it back. Whatever you gotta do, you gotta do. But we can't take back that he's alive. Man, that wasn't just some motivational speech that they encountered. That was. The thing that happens in your life when you meet someone that was dead and is alive now, particularly someone who had told you in advance, this is what's going to happen. I also want to just mention, man, there's something about endurance. Do you know that 
by this point in time, almost every single one of the Caesars had added a couple things to their name, added a couple titles to their name. One of them was, oh, BT-dubs, I'm also God. And they would put it on the coinage, and they would require an annual sacrifice, and you'd take a pinch of salt, and you would make a sacrifice that says, Caesar is Lord. Do you know that there, there's not a single temple to Augustus or to Tiberius or to Nero or to Claudius or to Caligula or to any of those people? Why? Because, man, as soon as they died, they got relegated to the dusty pages of history. But Jesus... We're still gathered this morning in the middle of a tropical storm coming off of a pandemic and we show up in church because he is alive and we came to meet him in this place. And Paul says, let me tell you one other thing. He says, all those guys that met Jesus, I can give you their name and phone number, call them if you want. But he also says, but I met him. He refers to himself as untimely born because he wasn't born in a time and place in which he actually ran into Jesus in, in life. But there was a day when Paul was traveling from Jerusalem to Damascus for the sole purpose of trying to squash the name of Jesus so people would stop talking about Jesus. And he's moving along saying, this is what I'm going to say, this is what I'm going to do, and this is where I'm going to go first, and I'm going to get rid of the name of Jesus. And pow, the living Jesus himself stands in front of him. And so Paul says, you can talk to Cephas, you can talk to James, you can talk to him, you can talk to him, or you can talk to me. Because the living Jesus has appeared before me as well. And across this room, you can tell the story. And you should tell the story of when the living Jesus came and appeared to you. I've got to keep moving here, but I would tell you that because it's also true that there is a practical confidence that we have in life. This is where we get to that part that we read about before. Paul says, if it wasn't true, would I put my life in danger all the time? Would I face death all the time? Like the time I wrestled the beasts in Ephesus. Now, quick parentheses. Well, Paul, you did what? Tell us a little bit. doesn't say anything else about it. Now, we get the idea that maybe he was thrown into the Colosseum-like structure and he had to wrestle the beast. Now, we're not sure that that's really what happened because one thing, most of those guys didn't really tell about it afterwards. Other people told about it, but they didn't tell about it. Probably because he was a Roman citizen, he, he didn't have to do that. And, and boy, somebody else would have told us the story as well. But I think he's using that image and saying, listen, we face dangerous situations all the time. We put our life on the line as though we were being thrown into the Colosseum to fight the lions. And he says, there's only one reason why I do that. And that's because Jesus is alive. He says, you really think that I would get arrested like every six weeks? If Jesus wasn't alive? He said, man, if Jesus wasn't alive, man, I'd find like a comfortable teaching position someplace and, and, and I would just kind of live this out. I wouldn't be putting myself in this danger. But because Jesus is alive, I have the confidence that I'll put my life on the line 
rearrange my life day in and day out. And I do that for two reasons. Because he is alive, I have the power for this day. And if it goes poorly, I know there's a resurrection for my life. I want you to think about what that means to us in 2020. The truth of the matter is is that this world has thought about the possibility of dying more than any other year in a really long time. And I want you to know that the resurrection of Jesus Christ tells you that even if the worst were to occur, you can live with confidence because he is alive and his resurrection will become our resurrection. There's one more thing that I want you to know that because this is true, there is meaning beyond the moment. Because this is true, there is meaning beyond the moment. In fact, Paul kind of shifts gears really hard here in verse 31, 32. He says, listen, if it wasn't for the resurrection, if Jesus were dead, would I really face the lions, would I face the beasts in Ephesus if he was not raised? And then the next sentence that he speaks here is he says, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. He says, listen, If there is no resurrection, and you might as well just do what you feel like doing today. Eat, drink, and be merry. Hang out wherever you want. Do whatever you want. But he says, but because Jesus is alive, then drunk, fat, and stupid is no way to go through life. He says, sober up. Invest in what matters. Stop sinning. Stop hanging out with people who are taking your life in the wrong direction. Because this moment is just this moment. It's not the full picture. The resurrection tells us that there is before, there's now, and there is all eternity that is coming. And we should make decisions in our life, not just based on this moment, but for all of eternity as well. But this also encourages us because every once in a while we get discouraged and we may think, is this moment all that there is? Is this right now all that there is in life? You're like, man, why why am I getting up today if this moment is all there is? Why am I working so hard at work if this moment is all that matters? Why am I stressing myself out if this is all that there is? But the resurrection tells us that there's tomorrow and there's all of eternity. And that word gives us hope and meaning. So it's not just this moment that matters. In fact, this is why I would say to you that the resurrection is too big for you to skip. Because I I think that we need a place where our life is rooted where there's some historical footprints. 
We need a life that can be rooted in a place where there's some practical confidence. And man, oh man, oh man, do we need a life that is rooted in more than just this moment. Jesus Christ, the resurrected Christ, the living Christ, is what you need. Now, now here's the good news. If you've had an encounter with Jesus Christ where you've asked him to take over your life, to fix the broken places in your life, to forgive you of sin and rebellion, selfishness out of control, if there's ever been a moment in which you've done that, it does not ever expire. You see, that's not based on you. It's not based on till I mess up again. It's based until Jesus changes his mind and he doesn't change his mind. It's based until Jesus runs out of power and he doesn't run out of power. It's based until Jesus forgets and Jesus never forgets. And so if you have ever had a time in which you've given your life to Jesus, man, that's forever. That's that resurrection. That's that eternity. That is forever. Sometimes we have this pull in our lives and say, I bet you I have to start all over again. I messed up. I didn't do it as well as I should. I probably have to start the whole thing all over again. Listen, if there's a place in your life that you need to repent and get right with God, then do that, but it's not starting all over again. You don't have to ask Jesus to come and forgive you and reanimate your life all over again. He never goes away. But if you've never had that time when you said, Jesus, I need you to make this life and eternity work, I have to tell you that there's no hope anyplace else. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only one that saves. And so my call to you is, man, if you are in Christ, then be re-encouraged today. But if for whatever reason you've never sought Christ in that way, you've never called out to him and said, I need you, then would you do that today? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together today. Thank you for truth that speaks to us in 2020. Lord, I pray that those that know that they have a relationship with you would be renewed, whether they feel like they're on a spiritual high or a spiritual low or a spiritual disengagement, whatever it may be, Lord, I pray that they would know that they are secure in you. But Lord, I also pray that you'd be with anyone that has never cried out to you, never called on you for hope. Lord, help them to know that today is the day to do that. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen. We invite you to take your seat right where you are right now to make that a holy space, a sacred space. And if you need to call out to Jesus, and say, I need the rescue that you only can bring. Would you do that? I'm going to be around. Michael will be around after church. Brian's around after church. We'd love to talk to you if we can help you. But I want you to know that Jesus came all the way from heaven to here. So you can talk directly to him. And you don't need us. Just call out to him.